Welcome to the Tribcast. This is Emily Bazlon from the Slate Political Gab Fest. I'm really excited because I get to come to Austin in a few weeks for a joint show. On Wednesday, April 23rd, we will be at the Schultz Garden for a Tribcast Slate Gab Fest combined live podcast. You can get tickets at www.slate.com slash Austin. And now here's your Tribcast host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the third week of April. We should clarify that a few weeks in that intro meant next week we will be doing our, I think she called it a GabFest Tribcast joint podcast or something, some long-winded thing. We're doing it at Schultz Gardens. April 23rd. April 23rd. Please come. You can get tickets at slate.com slash Austin, and you will not see CEO and editor-in-chief Evan Smith there. You will not see me that night, but I will be uh, thinking of you. Like every night. Like every night. Uh, but you will see executive editor Ross Ramsey. Yes, you will. And today we are lucky enough to be joined by reporter Alexa Ura. Hello. Uh, so, Evan, hopefully you'll talk more in this podcast than you did at the <laughs> debate between Dan Patrick and Julian Castro. I've already, I've already talked more. <laughs> just, just in the in the small. He was the guy in the background going, but, 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 but I'm pointing but, fingers, pointing <laughs> fingers, and. Contorting myself and attempting to to interrupt, well, do you but, wanna... then, but then ultimately not interrupting. So there was they had this debate. It was on Univision. We turns out it was it. a debate, despite the fact that it was called a debate, and I kept insisting it was going to be more of a discussion. You know, in the end, that sounded like the, heart, the heart wants what it wants. It as a, as like a man, some, like yeah. a man once said, you know, <laughs> it's like somebody dragging a pork roast through a kennel. It was pretty. Can annoying. you sort of explain how it came to be? Since well, you were the, one of the people there, the, the backstory is that uh, Dan Patrick and uh, state senator from Houston, uh, leading candidate for lieutenant governor, and Mayor Julian Castro of San Antonio, Republican and Democrat respectively, um, started slapping at each other on Twitter a few months back, prior to the primary, probably in January, February, over uh, rhetoric related to border security and immigration. Patrick claimed last night, and I have no knowledge that this is not true. I just don't necessarily remember the sequence of this. I'm not saying he's wrong. I just don't frankly know what happened. That the whole thing began because Patrick said something Patrick-like about immigration and border security, something – Invaders. Maybe he referred to unlawful immigrants as part of an illegal invasion or something. Right, right. And, Dan, and uh, Julian Castro tweeted that Dan Patrick was the most anti-immigrant um, uh, candidate for statewide office. And so what came up last night, sort of a funny little sidebar, was that Dan Patrick objected to that. And I said, do you object to the fact that you're anti-immigrant or that you're the most anti-immigrant? Which, which was it? Um, so That's he, a replay of Evan's greatest hit. The, my, my, my one hit. It's like one I, hit wonder. I, reti- I retired. Don't be such a smart ass, Alexa. Uh, wow. I, re- I, ret- I retired. I came over the room. Second trip cast. No, really. I, I retired from, from, from uh, uh, speaking after that one question. Um, so um, – so Patrick Patrick responded by hitting back to Julian, and so somehow from this conversation on Twitter emerged this challenge of a debate. And then at some point after that, one or both of them asked 
me on Twitter, kind of called me out, would you be the moderator? And so I talked to them uh, offline from Twitter and said, you know, yeah, if we can work out the date and the particulars of it. And so, you know, months passed. And Well, Patrick really wanted it before the primary, right? It was some question of it being before the primary, after the primary, before the primary, there was some disagreement. And, you know, at a certain point, it sort of looked like it wasn't going to happen. And I right. went home every night and said, thank you, Jesus, for this not <laughs> happening, because, you know, probably it's a better thing if it doesn't happen, just from my own personal perspective, since it's all about me. <laughs> But then um, it then came back around that it was going to happen, and the appointed date turned out to be the 15th of April, and, you know, it worked out through some negotiations that I participated in kind of in an active-slash-passive way that it would be at Univision in San Antonio, and so anyway, this shows up uh, on the calendar, and, and there it is. And it was deliberately structured not to be a debate. No opening statements, no closing statements, no timed answers, and then timed responses. I really wanted something more like free-form jazz. And you got and, it. Uh, oh, boy, sure. Well, it was like Ornette Coleman and his twin brother. It was actually a little bit more like those hip-hop stations in New York where one artist shoots another artist in the lobby, honestly, <laughs> what it was like. It was not really like uh, anything I've seen. Um, l- l- look, uh, you don't get political debates like this because political debates are so stage-managed and negotiated and structured that they're almost designed not to produce memorable exchanges and the only memorable exchanges that we can think of in this room, you know, you're no John Kennedy, are the exceptions that prove the rule. Yeah, most candidates you know, view, oops, view debates oops. as a, yeah, most candidates and campaigns seem to view debates as an opportunity to make a mistake they don't want to make. They're, right, they, it's, they, it, they treat them like getting yeah, canceled. and and so you know, there's there's this very um, sort of scripted quality to them, and there was a deliberate decision made. You know, I wouldn't say really by me. It was sort of by me and by the. Venue by Univision, Louis Patino, who runs the Univision station, the stations, I think, statewide, and uh, by the candidates' representatives to just sort of let, you know, our freak flags fly, you know, just, you know, 60 minutes, no audience questions, no timed answers, no structure or format beyond begin with, you know, right away, start with a question and just go. And, you know, Ross knows because I was consulting with him all week uh, about, you know, kind of strategy and stuff on this that I had a plan that became irrelevant within about two minutes. Um, it was hilarious. It was like you walked in, you pulled the pin out of the grenade. I asked grenade, a question, and then, you know, and then, it, and then that and was the end of it. Right. And, 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 you know, honestly— That's no, not necessarily no, a bad thing, well, I, I mean, it led to, a, like, actually a fascinating conversation for most of it, I would let say. Me, let me say, I think <laughs> it was a very good thing. You know, I, you know, the, the, you know, you know, pro tip, don't read the comments on anything and don't go on Twitter because, you know, there have been, you know, oh, the worst moderator in history, you know, it's— I'm among the worst. Well, they said that about Jim Lair too. He did okay until he was bad. I don't. I don't (laughs) care about my component to this, except to defend it by saying this: No one goes to the circus to see the ringmaster. They go to the circus to see the animals. And when the animals are fighting with one another, the ringmaster doesn't get in the middle because the ringmaster gets eaten. You should have told Siegfried and Roy this long ago. The (laughs) show, which one last night was Siegfried and which was Roy, the the show is the show, right? People wanted to see Castro and Patrick at one another. They got it. Well, and and their and their various supporters came away, you know, variously happy. I mean, they, <laughs> sure. you know, Patrick, yeah, Patrick's got people, Patrick everybody people got out of it the, what they want. Watch the Twitter stream. The Patrick people were like, right. "Oh, he's killing him." That's the Castro right. people were like, "Oh, he's God killing him." God is killing them. The Democrats had some carefully managed series of press releases. Mm-hmm. Everybody who'd ever been a Democratic right. office holder in the history of the state had a press release out that was written, obviously, before the debate started. You know, Patrick and his guys, you know, it's not about winning and losing, they said, but we declare victory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's look, a pretty look, great line. Uh, yeah. They got what they wanted out of it. 
Castro had eaten a bowl of Wheaties and apparently a handful of speed before the event. Yeah, he was highly caffeinated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Patrick walked up to the line of going too far, which some in his own party, not to mention some in the other party, thought might happen, but he didn't. Well, it seemed to me he like— He won by not losing in that sense, mm-hmm. right? They both got out of it what they wanted. The audience got something out of it that it wanted. They wanted entertainment. They got entertainment. Well, and as a positioning thing, you know, the whole thing worked to the terrific disadvantage of the sitting lieutenant governor. David Dewhurst was the man who who wasn't there. And and his campaign put out what I must say, candidly, was a petulant press release afterwards saying, well, you know, who lost? The people of Texas lost because this was not really – and I was like, no, look – I, I'm sorry, Lieutenant Governor, and I'm sorry, campaign for Lieutenant Governor Dewars, that you were not part of this deal. But you weren't. But you weren't. But, uh, you know, it was something that sort of emerged organically from a Castro-Patrick yeah. Twitter fight. We didn't, would you go, expect, we didn't go looking for this. Would you expect Dewars to show up in the middle of it? it was, you know, sort of, was sort of he could have photobombed the That's kind of interesting. He could have photobombed us, actually. That would have been hilarious. What if he had just basically waltzed onto the set? He did it at the retired the teacher's row. the other day, right? right? He showed up at a retired teacher's convention the other day that he wasn't invited to and, and spoke before Wendy Davis did. He, he could have shown up in the audience Hi, as one I'm of here. the... Yeah. He could have shown up in the audience as one of the audience members with, like, you know, some sort of mask on. Right. And in the a, middle of it, he get up and he goes, I am actually rip off the mask. The really, really tall Clinton impersonator or something, right? No, no, you know, so look... It, it was it was theater, it was a spectacle, it was entertainment. But what you said earlier, it was really pretty substantively interesting. Nobody walked away from that debate without a clear sense of where these two guys are on a host of issues related to immigration and border security. Well, yeah, and issues not at all related to immigration and border security. <laughs> well, but they, you know, it was interesting because they really sort of know the issue, and they really you know you could sort of see you know there's. There's some thinking behind the the vitriol here, and, and it was I yeah. thought it was I thought it was fun. There I, will I, be fact checking. I suspect not by us, but they'll be fact checking by others. Because why would we want to fact check? You know, a technical note: we should set these up so that one, a technical note: we should set these up in the future so that one's on the left ear and one's on the right ear, so that you could just shut down the channel and listen to one at a time. They talked over each other all the time. Yeah. it was amazing. Well, listeners say, to the Tribcast should be used to that. Yeah. I, well. I think we saw a more subdued version of Dan Patrick when it comes to immigration, though. I mean, he was. Control. He was in control of what he was trying to say, which I don't think anyone expected less of him being a radio host. But he walked away from the question when Evan asked him, you know, what about this illegal invasion rhetoric? And he said, I don't want to talk politics. I want to talk policy. Well, Patrick has He this- also denied he was tough. Patrick has this amazing. <laughs> like, what's up with that? Like, if you've seen him on, on the stump plan. or at any sort of campaign event or at any sort of debate thing, he has this amazing way of if someone asks him, like, well, you said that. You said this. And it's like, I said that seven years ago. I don't mean that. He just sort of – he brushes off any sort well, the of le- like, the leprosy oh, thing. The leprosy thing Thursday. tended yeah. to get under his skin it seemed like, even more than no the illegal invasion, yeah. invasion thing. Uh, Castro kind of hammering and coming back to the leprosy thing seemed to drive him a little bit. And he started quoting CDC statistics, which I thought was sort of – So, so you know, look. The, the, at, at the end of the day, it's on the front page of every single paper in the state. There's no such thing as bad press. Patrick benefits. Well, sure there is. No, there's not. <laughs> no, no. In this instance, there was in, in unless instance, no, unless right. Patrick went off the rails completely. There was in this unless it was like the Exxon Valdez of debates. There was absolutely no way that Patrick was not going to benefit from the fact that it was going to be and is on the front page of every paper in the state. Everyone's talking about it. We had thirteen thousand views of the video within two hours after we posted it. Yeah, the short term here is it's the like, short term here is this is a Patrick win. You know, he's in a he's in a runoff. 
with Dewhurst in six weeks. He's got some momentum going with, you know, the Texans for Lawsuit Reform thing and this and some other things. Can you explain what the Texas for Lawsuit Reform come, thing We can is? come back to it. And then, and then the – you know, the thing last night was, here's where I stand. And in terms of his own supporters and the people who are going to be voting in the in the May 27th runoff, I think this was a win right. for him. You know, Castro is basically positioning himself for a race in, you know, four years or six years or something Well, or like according that. to the New York Times this morning, as we sit here on Wednesday, he wants in to be two Julia, years. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, right? <laughs> well, or, you know, or I v- might I yeah, might have said Al Gore or uh, Joe Biden, but you know, he, wa- <laughs> he wants to be exactly he wants to be a fake vice president on the cover of Rolling Stone, topless. Yeah, there okay, you go. There you go. <laughs> thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. That's good. Uh, but but I think I didn't say no to that. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually think I mean I, I'm prepared to say that that Patrick won by not losing. I'm also prepared to say that Castro. Exceeded expectations. Well, he showed that he could fight in sort of close hand-to-hand combat. He could throw mm-hmm. a punch. I, yeah. I, I expected, you know, Patrick to be more adept at this kind of thing and to just basically manhandle him. I, you know, well, I, I thought think... he, in, a, in a verbal argument, the guy who trains for three hours on the radio every day for the last 20 years probably has an advantage. Well, it seemed like Patrick came in wanting to be just, let's just be calm, let's just talk sort of above the issue and and then it lasted Castro, about two minutes. Castro successfully goaded him into sort of like, no, we're gonna have like a real fight here. And then once he got out on that, I don't know if he could quite handle Patrick did a good job being like, all right, you want to fight? Let's talk about abortion then. But <laughs> I but I have like, but oh. I have to tell you, so from sitting in the room and I had a lot of time just to look. <laughs> right? um, I thought Patrick was rattled for like the first fifteen minutes. He seemed I've interviewed Patrick a bunch of times. I've been in that situation with Patrick a bunch of times. Patrick seemed more rattled in the first 10 to 15 minutes than I have seen him before, but he recovered. I was surprised at Castro. Were you? Oh, I was absolutely surprised. You know, Castro is like a nice boy, right? Castro's (laughs) affect is like the guy you bring home to your mother. Right. Right. And he was like... On him, on him, on him. And even his body language, the way his body yeah, leaned, was – Leaned into him. The way and, yeah. he even turned his body toward – you could just see he was like like coiled like right. a cat ready you, to spring. Do you think he called Patrick a princess or Little Red Riding Hood uh, too many times? I think he enough. called him a princess. <laughs> he called him Cinderella. Yeah, he did he call him Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah. He called him Little Red Riding Hood. Do you think he called him enough times, too many times? Well, they obviously were going down the whole fairy tale. He had theme, a, he had a, yeah, he had a puffing you know, and puffing and the whole. There thing, was right. probably an index card file of lines somewhere. You know, it's like you know, wait, I've got another one for this. You know, <laughs> yeah. Can uh, we get so speaking of? They did sort of talk about at one point, sort of the general election. It was sort of assumed that Patrick would be in it, running against not Castro but Vandepute, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which gets to and I think highlights Dewhurst's absence. And I think one of the which is sort of icing on the cake of the TLR thing, which you referenced a second ago. Right. The TLR thing is this: uh, Texans for Lawsuit Reform is one of the state's biggest business groups now. It you know started off just doing tort reform, and it's now morphed into education and a bunch of other issues as its tort reform issues have sort of become defensive rather than offensive. They're defending the laws that they've gotten passed rather than trying to get laws passed. And they are, you know, one of the big money groups, particularly but not completely on the Republican side in politics. They've been with Dewhurst in every election from land commission on, and they, in fact, endorsed him over Patrick and Jerry Patterson and Todd Staples in the first round of the Republican primary this year. But last week, late last week, they pulled their endorsement of Dewhurst um, and endorsed Patrick. They said not only we're not endorsing David Dewhurst, they said we're switching, we're going the other way. And in, in, in a lot of ways, this was a signal to everybody else who's looking at this runoff that, you know, the 300-pound gorilla has jumped off of the Dewhurst bus, That never mind that thump-thump sound you heard, and, and jumped on the Dan Patrick bus. And um, 
you know, it was just sort of a, a weird moment, kind of a Game of Thrones moment. None of that would matter if Dewhurst would open his wallet. If Dewhurst would open his wallet, he might be able to match Not to with, say that the TLR right. endorsement is not significant for Patrick, but, you know, I'll tell you what's been missing. The man who wasn't there has been matched by the money that wasn't there. Right. He the money that was expected to have been there before the primary and could conceivably be, but shows no sign of being there before the runoff. But didn't Dewhurst open his wallet uh, – to pummel Ted Cruz into the ground? That's he, not to say he shouldn't have done it this time or yeah, couldn't it, have done it this time. He did time. it last He's time. He's chosen think, not I to do it I think the way that the Chinese tire dealer ads against Ted Cruz backfired on him probably made them hesitant to pull the trigger this time. But, you know, they only spent about six point – this is only only in Dewhurst world. But they only spent about $6.6 in the in the primary, only about $4.5 million of that went to media and TV, which is a relatively small buy, particularly in a packed primary like that with a candidate who's supposedly um, really well-financed and really, you know, has really stout competition. So the question is... And said pointedly to us and to others, oh, don't worry about how much I'm willing to spend. Now, he's up. We haven't seen it yet, but he's he's up today as of Wednesday with what looks like a one-week buy, pretty heavy buy. I'm not sure what the spot is yet. So we may be seeing the beginning of it. But, you know, it's awfully late. There are only six weeks left before the runoff. Um, and he would have to make Dan Patrick look bad enough that Dan Patrick's family votes against right. him. Well, I just think we haven't seen Dewhurst enough. And going back to the debate last night, Patrick's getting a ton of free press and, and an issue that is key with the voters that are going to come out in May. And that's the point. W- what exactly would Dewhurst say at this point that he wouldn't have said or shouldn't have said previously? What's he going to say that's going to now get people to go, you know what? No on Patrick. I think his only case is to say, you know, some version, something to show you something that makes you He's too extreme? No. You can't vote against Patrick. For Maybe he, there's some kind of oppo you know. that would paint Dan Patrick as corrupt or criminal. I mean, not that we have any knowledge of anything that would be there, but right. would he have – I mean, you have to disqualify the guy somehow. No, could, you, could, could Dewhurst just challenge Anise Parker to a debate on Twitter or something? Would that help? <laughs> you know what? Maybe. Sure. I'd, would you moderate that? Hell no. <laughs> I, think um, I think my days of non-moderating a debate are over. Um, but, but I do think he's in a predicament. And, you know, what's been asked often is the relationship between that race and the other races on the runoff ballot. If Dewhurst were to suddenly disappear from the runoff ballot in all but name only, would it have an impact on the other races? You know, to the extent that that race was driving turnout, I'm not sure that race was driving turnout. There's kind of a slate here on the Republican side, you know, that's sort of evolved with, you know, maybe Patrick Paxton. Um, his mind goes blank. Um, Miller Wayne, Wayne and Christian. Christian. Wayne Christian and Sid Miller. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, and I... I think in a in a runoff, you're going to get the people who are the true believers, whether you've got a big fight at the top of the ballot or not. I'm not sure whether this affects turnout. I'm not sure who is bemoaning the fact that the top race is not a draw. Well, as we wait for that, let's move from Castro v. Patrick to Perry v. Travis County Public Integrity Unit in the DA's office. Who wants to fill us in on this situation? So a serious enough mess that, that Perry's hired a defense lawyer. You know, uh, the this starts at the during the last legislative session when Rosemary Lindbergh, the Travis County District Attorney, gets arrested very publicly and embarrassingly for a DWI thing. The tape goes viral on the internet. The jail tape goes viral on the internet. It's just a it's just a big mess. And there were calls at the time for Lindbergh to resign from her office, and Perry weighed in. 
as governor saying that, you know, I think she should resign. And if she doesn't resign, I'm going to line item veto um, some of the funding for her office, public integrity funding from the state budget for her office. And the public integrity unit investigates uh, lawmakers. Well, it investigates, you know, any any kind of public crime that originates in Travis County, which happens to include that pink building over there where the state government is. So, I mean, you know, there's there's one of these in Harris County. They just don't have the state capital in it. Um, so the Democrats and some of Perry's, you know, some of Perry's opponents basically jump up and say, this is official oppression. You're using your public office to pursue your po- political goals. And you're also doing this at a time when the DA is investigating things involving, you know, maybe even your own office. And you've crossed the line here. So they hire an independent prosecutor. The independent prosecutor did some interviews last week and said, you know, I am taking my report back to the grand jury. You know, I, you know, I'm troubled by some of this and, you know, troubled in that he didn't case. Say he's, he, he said he didn't know that whether they would indict or not, but he said there were some troubling things here. So Perry is now lawyered up and you've got this thing developing that may turn out to be, you know, nothing at all or may turn out to be, you know, his version of, you know, Chris Christie's bridge or, you know, you don't know what. Dallas Morning News is calling it Bridgegate West, which may be an exaggeration. We don't really know whether there's anything here. Yeah, nothing ever lives up right. to the label, right? <laughs> so what yeah. is the – Bridgegate West isn't too yeah. – Does he not have discretion to veto the funding spit, that he wants? It could be spit mask gate. What are we going to actually call it? <laughs> it's got to have gate in it. Does it have I'll, to? I'll, everything is a gate. Everything, everything is a gate. I like yeah. everything being a bridge for a while. I think it'd be great. <laughs> all right. Um, you know, you can veto this stuff. You can do all of that stuff. The The problem is the threat that preceded the veto and the the implication that, you know, maybe this isn't just about budgets. Maybe this isn't just about whether you as governor think that the state ought to fund that public integrity unit. Maybe this is about your personal politics and you're trying to threaten the person who could bring charges or the threat of charges against you. I think that's that's where this turns. But isn't every and there, and there but politics in every budget? There's politics in every budget, but this is a this is you know arguably and you know I'll stress that because I you know I'm not I don't really know that anybody crossed the line, but this is arguably a case where somebody said this for that in a way that's not lawful. Do you think? Uh, oh yeah. Like well, so I was going to ask if this turns into something much bigger than what it already is. Does it hurt him in 2016 because his opponent, opponents can turn around and say, look. This is someone who's under investigation right now. Well, if I'm Chris Christie and I'm running for president, you know, and, and you know they want to talk about bridges in Iowa, right. let's talk about prosecutors in Iowa. Everything's everything right. is fodder for that. You know, every every blemish, every you know, um, Jeb Bush is going to be talking about acts of love, and, and Chris Christie's going to be on talking the, about. On, bridges on the other and, hand, you know. I, I thought one of the most interesting things in the public policy polls poll of the Texas races that came out yesterday and of Texas politicians was that Rick Perry's favorables were on the right side up for the first time since the presidential campaign of 2012. I think Perry has done a pretty good job of recuperating from his his low moment in 2012 in terms of his national view. Is that, the, is that the Kimmel bump? <laughs> well, it's the Rachel Maddow eyeglasses bump, according to Kurt Anderson of Spy, who tweeted that they predicted in Spy all those years ago that if you put on glasses that make you look smart – it has this transformational effect on how people view you. I think that was actually uh, I've been getting away with this for, since the fifth grade. They had about forty points to your IQ. <laughs> you know, Received IQ, I should say. At the same time, the sort of this investigation surrounding Perry's handling of the public integrity unit is going on. The public integrity unit has also just received a referral of the Wallace Hall case, who is a 
from the legislative committee that's investigating him. So this is, you know, a run of Perry's gubernatorial appointees to the University of Texas System Board. We talked about him forever on the last podcast, but essentially uh, a report came back from the committee special counsel saying, you know, you might have grounds to impeach him. He might have uh, broken, done, had some criminal violations here and here, and they sent that over to the Public Integrity Unit. Um, does that complicate any of the other – are these two was separate that, things? Was that a surprise? I mean I, I thought that the Wallace Hall action would be contained entirely within the confines of impeachment. I think this you know, has the, the crim- potential – The to- criminal referral is something that I candidly was – Yeah, I, I didn't expect it. If, it, if, if the criminal referral goes or you know, re- results in some indictment, then the impeachment committee is off the hook. Right, which, right? They which is a nice little piece of politics. I mean you know, if, if, the, if Wallace Hall's problems move over to the to – the, grand jury and all of that kind of stuff, then the impeachment thing, you know, they can say, well, we're going to hold and see what the criminal thing is. At the end of the day, right? And and the pressure on the governor to remove somebody becomes much stronger if there's an indictment. So, yeah, that's – and I was going to go there. So, you know, an indictment is something, a recommendation for impeachment or some kind of cause of action on impeachment is something. Right now, this is being litigated largely in the court of public opinion. So you you know so the coalition which has been anti Wallace Hall and anti Governor Perry calling for Wallace this Hall to step down. the coalition for excellence and it's like in higher education. You know hashtag coalition. duh. Not a big surprise on that. Um, the people who've been Wallace Hall haters, but now you've got the American Statesman, the Houston Chronicle, and San Antonio Express News editorial boards all calling for Hall to step down. Now nobody cares about editorial boards on one level, right? They don't really necessarily cause things to happen or not happen, but the the heat is turned up now. On this. Yeah, but the heat's been turned up well, before. But I actually think it's it's one thing for there to be a conversation happening on the street. I just think now it's becoming more of a thing that there's the sense that Hall needs to go, and um, at least in some of these quarters. And like the court of public opinion piece combined with the other stuff, I think is it's I think just, it's be, really I, interesting. I would expect, you know, in something like this for the next thing to be a defensive pushback that the by whom that people start to take Hall's side a little bit say wait a minute what was he trying to do over there but why are all these people mad at him by What's, what do you think's going on by whom um you know i think that's a political thing i think you're going to see that in some of the you could see that in some Marty. of the republican races you're i think you're starting to see it from some of the members of the impeachment committee mm-hmm. or you know backing up a little bit i think some of them were strongly let's investigate and now they're going now wait a minute let's have a let's have another look at this i think this is softening did, did a little somebody on his get side. to them well, I think the argument's getting to them that, you know, we've got all of these organized PR firms doing all of this stuff against Hall and sort of Longhorn Nation all sort of bowed up. Maybe he has something on them. And you've already seen that before from the, the Empower Texans folks and sort of that wing of things. Right. I mean, it's not the pushback is nothing new. And, it, you know, as for every action, there is... It's not going to matter unless I see Rick Perry in front of a bank of microphones defending Wallace Hall. That's when I know that he we, has defended Wallace well, Hall. Well, but I'm talking about like now under these current circumstances against the calls to resign. I'd like right. to see Perry in front of a bank of microphones defending Wallace Hall and I, I, saying well, effectively not only no, hell no in terms of Wallace but nobody, Hall. But nobody this? that wasn't already pretty clearly anti-Hall has really called for him to resign, I don't think. But you in, mean the editorial boards? But when was the last time Perry responded to editorial boards? I'll let you know. <laughs> well, I'm wondering if this becomes an expedited investigation because the clock is ticking on the Perry administration. So will this public integrity unit expedite their investigation? And if it does lead to some sort of indictment, this is a big if, and pushing Perry into that corner where he might have to call someone to resign because they're, they've been indicted, 
there's not a lot of time to do that, and we don't know the timeline on this right. sort of investigation. Well, the other thing is, and will this fall know, into Greg Abbott or Wendy Davis? Here we lot? have here we have a reporter covering the governor's race, among other things. It'd be interesting to ask Greg Abbott, what do you think about this? I don't know that I'm aware of an Abbott comment on this, and Abbott may take the position, well, now this is a matter that's been referred for criminal investigation, and I can't comment. But I'd be curious to know where Abbott comes down on this. What about Davis? Sure. (laughs) 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 Well, just uh, quickly, speaking of people running for governor, uh, Ross, you went to the Libertarian shindig over the weekend. I did, up in Temple. who who will be emerging from there, and uh, uh, how Gla- will they be shaking up the race? Kathy Glass again, you know the uh, candidate who was there last time. I think she got two point two percent in the last race. Libertarians on the statewide ballot have been, you know, spoilers at best. I mean, you know, and and probably have more influence, you know, in recent history on the Texas ballot in House races and Senate races, where, you know, a four or five percent. Mar, uh, four or five percent vote for a libertarian may be the difference between the Republican and the Democrat in the race. They they serve as a spoiler in that way. She had a Wendy Davis win the race against Kim Brimer to begin with, right? right you had a libertarian right, candidate right. in that race. She won with less than fifty percent. Right. So so you get you get a few races like that every time. Mm-hmm. Their statewide ballot, you know, they haven't been contenders for. Um, office really, in, but they haven't the done any worse they, than the Democrats. Well, yeah, they the have. You know, they, they've, they've kind of got the same record. They've had lower numbers. They have been successful in getting a bunch of ideas across, and and I think in the last three cycles, probably, you know, some of the ideas that used to, you know, the Libertarians used to serve a function as kind of the bucket of ideas for Republicans in some ways, um, and they've been supplanted in that in some measure by the Tea Party in the last couple of three cycles. But you know, they're still out there. They're still. Um, it, it's kind of interesting to see. A real convention that actually nominates its uh, its people for the ballot instead of you know the the PR festivals that the Democrats and the Republicans hold, where they don't actually do anything you know about the ballot that's that's consequential in a in a way that voters care about. And so you know they actually go in, they have their debates on uh, Friday night. They come in the next day, they argue rules, they come in, they vote on the uh, the delegates vote on the candidates and put them on the ballot. It's actually democracy. It's kind of fun. Huh, how novel. Well, <laughs> let's let's that end was, this. That was unbelievably insincere. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you think that's the first time I've been insincere on this podcast. No, I don't. But I would like to very sincerely thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. That is great. Uh, I'd like to encourage everyone to come to Schultz Garden in Austin next Wednesday, April 23rd. You can get tickets at slate.com slash Austin. We should note that because that is happening Wednesday night and then we're going to take a day to recover, it won't be on our website until Friday. So next week's podcast so will, will come out. will not be an actual podcast. Next Friday. week's podcast will come out a couple days later than usual. If you have questions or comments about that or how you can throw your own uh, charming political convention you can email. Do you have any questions you'd like yeah. not asked at a debate? Yeah. Tribcast <laughs> at texastribune.org. On behalf of Alexa, Ross, Evan, and our producer, Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. Compared to last night, talking about softcore porn is a huge improvement. <laughs>